And if you couldn't tell, we are going to be dealing with the Ten Commandments. All right. The book of Exodus chapter 20, and we will begin reading in verse 1. I hear pages turning, so that means y'all listened. I heard some. I got some, I got some feedback in the front. I was in the front. They were like, we brought our Bible today. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's good. That's good. I actually forgot that I said what I said when I was reminded, so I didn't say anything in the first service, but um, that's awesome that y'all are paying attention. That's good. That's good. All right. When you got to say so. And it says, and, the God, and, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. God, thank you so much for your word that is truth. Thank you so much for the very privilege that we have to be together to worship and honor your name today. Thank you for the reminder that the great I am lives in us. Thank you, Lord God, for reminding us that it is not by might nor by power, but it is by your spirit. Your grace is so, so wonderful and amazing. And as we think on that this morning, I just pray that our hearts would be captivated by your love and power. That our hearts would be captivated by your word and your truth and that we would be hearers and doers of your word. God, I pray that you would glorify yourself in us, not just as we listen, but as we live for your glory and for your honor. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen. maybe seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, please be sure to grab one. Um, very important that you can follow along with us and that you're able to answer the questions that are in there. And then this is also an opportunity for you to take notes, but not just take notes, but it is also something that you can use as a tool to be a disciple maker. The Bible teaches us that we are the disciples of Jesus, and as such, we are called to make disciples. And so very important that we do that. And I just also want to mention that uh, whether you realize it or not, I know, I know some of you have taken advantage of it, but we also stream our 11 o'clock service during the preaching. So right now we're streaming live. Um, so right now, because I know you left your phone in the car or it's on silent or something like that, so you don't want to be distracted by it. But what I will say is a way for you to reach other people is for you to go on ahead and after service, you know, go on Facebook or wherever it is that you see it posted, and you can share that on your, on your timeline, and that way your friends, your family, they can actually see where you were at and what you were learning and, you know, invite them to come out. So that's a good way to do that as well. And also out there in the lobby area, there is when you walk into the front, there are some cards. There's a bunch of cards out there and they all have specific designations, but there is one particular card, small card about the business. It's the size of a business card and it says you matter on it. And the reason that we print out those cards is so that way you can utilize it as a tool in order to reach other people and invite them to come to church with you. Let them know they matter to God because everybody matters. Jesus died for all. Amen? Amen. And so it's just a couple of tools that we offer for you to utilize in order to be able to reach other people. So please be sure when you come in or when you go out that you grab some of those cards that you go ahead and use them. It's a cool thing to do when you go to a restaurant or something like that. Most of you are going to do that after here. And then, you know, you sit down and after you're finished, make sure you give the waitress or waiter a good tip. Amen. 
Let them know they matter. Hallelujah, right? You're going to hand them a You Matter card and give them a terrible tip. So don't do that, right? Give them a good tip and then, you know, see what happens and God will use that. So we are in our Not Optional series. We're continuing on. We talked about it last week. We began to deal with the topic of the Ten Commandments. And as you saw for the video that we played in there, and in the beginning, we we're playing that weekly just so that way you can actually see that and be reminded of that. But we want to continue to walk through these Ten Commandments in these next few weeks. So in your paragraph, in the first paragraph there in your outline, our definition of who God is is the single most significant definition in our lives. Hear me when I say this. As it will result in a lifestyle that either looks forward to eternal damnation or strives after eternal salvation. The reason why this series becomes so important is because there's a statistic out there. I was going through a training, and the statistic is that of those that are between the ages of 18 and 35, now hear this, 87% of them think that the Bible is irrelevant. Between the ages of 18 and 35, and so for all you that are in here that are above that age and that are real saved and sanctified, I love you and I'm grateful for you. But you know what? I'm concerned about the 18 to 35-year-olds that say this book is irrelevant to their lives, that they don't need it. That's who you should be concerned about. That's why this truth becomes so important. And, and, and another thing, I don't know if you know this, but you know what the greatest or the fastest growing religion is of our day. You know what that is? It is the religion called the nuns. And I'm not talking about the nuns from the Catholic Church. I'm talking about the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S's, those who declare that they are of no faith, that they are of no religion. That is the fastest growing segment of our, of our population as far as religion goes. And so those are some startling statistics, and it all boils down to what we believe about God. And when I say we, I don't mean the world. I mean what you believe about God. I remember about 20 years ago, one of the first books that I ever read, it was entitled The Fear of the Lord, and it was by John Bevere. Never forget reading that book because I'm not a real big book reader, but I read that book from cover to cover, and, and, and for me it was a highly um, fast time because I was, I was so overwhelmed by the truth that was there. And can I tell you something? There is a truth that our culture has lost the fear of the Lord, but can I tell you the root of that? It's because the church has lost the fear of the Lord. It's because we, see, we can't go ahead and blame so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so if we don't ever look at me, if we don't ever look at us, because it's not their job to fear God. It's not their job to promote the fear of the Lord. It's not their job to, when I say they, I mean non-Christians. It's not their job to communicate the truth of God, to believe the truth of God, to live the truth of God, to uphold the truth of God. It's our job. It's our job. It is our job in the church. And so when we look at statistics like this, it comes back to this thought that the most important thing is who is God? What is your definition of God? And that's going to determine how you're going to live your life. You're either going to live a life that has an expectation of an eternity of damnation or you're going to live your life striving after eternal life. Not because you can earn eternal life, but, but because you want to live your life for the glory and for the honor of the one who gave his life for you. The second paragraph there. The next few weeks should help us to get to know God better. And that's from a pragmatic or a practical standpoint because we're going to look at the scriptures and see his standards. It's not going to make you know him better or to make you understand some things about him. It should help us understand his will more clearly and it should lead us into a greater place of reverence for the holiness of God along with a deeper sense of gratitude for God's mercy. 
So as we walk through these, looking at these Ten Commandments for these next few weeks, as we look at the text of Scripture, it should help us to understand what the will of God is. It should help us understand the holiness of God. And hopefully, if you're paying attention, it should help you to understand how worthy of the wrath of God you are, which should make you be grateful for the mercy of God. When we look at these commandments, it is a reflection of God's law in our face. And we look at the law of God and we see where we are before this holy God apart from the mercy of Jesus. And we are on our way to hell and there is no hope for us. But the beauty of the gospel is what? Is that God came and he did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. He came and died in our place. He rose again so we could be justified. He did his part so we could be reconciled or brought back in into a relationship and that is not just for us that is for all of creation third paragraph here we must remember that we are ambassadors of Christ before a dying world whose only hope is the God who commands obedience and offers us mercy for our disobedience to his word please understand that statement the world is dying and is in dire need of a savior. There is no question, there is no, there, there is no question, God commands obedience of all of his creation. Not just some of his creation, all of his creation. That is the reason why Jesus came. And here's the thing. Our commitment to obedience is vital because apart from the law of God, man will never know his desperate need for God. See, if we don't communicate to the world what the standards of God are, guess what? They're never going to know they need Jesus. If we don't live those standards before this world, they're never going to know they need Jesus. They're never going to understand why it is you get up on Sunday morning to go to church. Hello. They're never going to understand why you give your money to some organization that gets such a bad rep because people do some crazy stuff. They're never going to understand why you profess faith in Jesus despite the fact that many in our culture want nothing to do with Christianity because of whatever their reasoning is. And they don't understand that. But you, because you have encountered God, you live before this world as a light that shines brightly. That's what we're called to do. And that way the world can know how desperately they need God. See, here's the big idea that I have for you this morning. We must be united in our understanding of God to be united in our representation of God. Let me say that again. We must be united in our understanding of God to be united in our representation of God. You see, if you believe something about God that is not true, you will not represent him clearly. Hello. If you believe something that is inaccurate about God, you will not represent him the right way. It's the same thing about a person. If you think you know somebody and you know them and, you, and somebody's talking to you about them, you can correct them and be like, nah, man, that's not that, that, that's not, that's not that person. See, if someone tells me something about my wife, like my wife did A, B, C, or D, you know what? I can tell you if that's my wife. You know why? Because I know her. I can tell you my wife would do that because I know her. If someone tells me something about my daughter, I can say, you know what? I know that that's my daughter, that she wouldn't do that or she would do that. Yes, she would be. She's guilty because I know them, right? It's the same scenario for all of us. When it comes to our understanding of who God is, as the church, we must be united. And can I tell you something? This is the saddest, saddest reality that we are living in a day that the church can't even agree on this. 
The visible church that we see cannot agree on the things that we deal with when it comes to God and who he is. And therefore, we represent him the wrong way. We represent him inaccurately. We represent him in a manner that creates more, confu more confusion than salvation. Hello. It's us, church. We've got to be the ones who rise up as his representatives in understanding who he is. So the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God always does, God always does for, us for us before he expects from us. God always does for us before he expects from us. I want you to look at verse 1 and 2 right here. It says this. It says, and God spoke all these words. Say words. I want you to notice something as we pause here. When we look at the text of Scripture, nowhere do we find, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or ever even thought about this, but nowhere does it say these are the Ten Commandments. Did you ever notice that? It never says these are the Ten Commandments. What we do know is this, is that this list is repeated throughout the Pentateuch, which is the first, well, actually the four, not the five, not in Genesis. But when you look at, you know, when you look at Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you find the repetition of this list in different ways. And so that is where we get this understanding. But God was speaking these words. And how many of you know when God speaks, he's not giving you suggestions? Are you here? We're not talking about me. It's, you know, we're, not, we're not talking about you. We're not talking about, the, we're not talking about the president. Hello, somebody. We're not talking about some ruler or some king. We are talking about the creator of all. We are talking about the supreme sovereign ruler. And whenever he speaks, he's not giving you suggestions. Hello. He's, he's letting you know what he expects of you. Hence, it's a command. And he goes on to say this. Look what he says. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And so what is he doing here? Well, what, what is happening is you'll notice that this is something that he does to begin this conversation. The first thing he does, he lays the foundation on his right to actually ask anything of you. That's the first thing that he does. He's laying the foundation on his right to ask anything of you. And so what we understand is that by reason of having rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, he delivered them from the house of Egypt, from the house of bondage. He, li he liberated them from that place. Now he has claim on his chosen people. Are you here? He has claim on his chosen people. This is known or sometimes called a hesed relationship from the Hebrew Semitic concept of hesed. Listen to what hesed is. Hesed is loyalty required and response to loyalty shown. Loyalty required in response to loyalty shown. That is what God did because what he did was what? He creates man, and in the beginning, right? I said he always gives before he asks of us. He creates man, gives everything to man, and simply tells him what? Don't eat of this tree. And you fast forward a little bit, and you get to this guy by the name of Abraham, right? And when Abram was there, God does what? Calls him out of his father's house, reveals himself to him, right? So what does he give? He gives him revelation, lets him know all these other gods that you see around you, I'm not one of them. I'm calling you out. Calls him out to himself, says, look, look at the stars of the sky. Look at the sand of the sea. Your descendants are going to be greater than all of those. And so we know that this prophecy comes true. But what he does is he reveals himself. He reveals himself, and he shows who he is. And then we come to Egypt. After 400 years of bondage, God does what? God shows he's loyal, he's faithful to his promise. Therefore, he requires loyalty from you. Are you here? 
This is what he does. It's the same picture. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says something that, 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 that is very, uh, it's, it's unique in the sense that it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You know, you know, you know that scripture, right? It's repeated in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, repeated in the New Testament, right? The apostle Paul and Jesus, they, they repeat these terms. And so it's funny because what we see is that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible shows that God's chosen people are called the bride. Hello. Right? So we are, not, not me, right? I'm a man, but we collectively, right? I'm not a bride, me personally. Us collectively, we are the bride of Christ. And so what we understand is that God, if we are the bride, that means he is the what? Husband. Hello. And so what does the husband do? Well, here's what the husband does. In the natural terms, talk about marriage a few weeks ago, and so I won't get deep into this, but for this reason, a man leaves his father and his mother, right? In other words, a man and any, any, any dad with a daughter right now is saying amen to what I'm about to say. You don't even know what I'm going to say, but you're going to say amen. Any man who is going to go and, and come to a woman and communicate, I want to marry you, he needs to be a man that is prepared to sustain a family. Hello. He needs, that, that's what we believe in the church. We believe that men are supposed to be men. Men are not supposed, li, li, listen, I understand there are some seasons and there are some things that happen in our lives. And I'm not telling you got to be a baller. I'm not telling you got to have all this kind of money. What I am saying, hello somebody, is that when you are saying you're ready to start a family, you need to demonstrate that you are loyal to, to do the things that are going to be able to do what? Take care of this spouse that you're embracing. Hello. And this is what God does. If a man comes, look, if, if some crazy fool, and I'm going to call him like that, ever walks up to me, he ain't got no job, he ain't got no goals, he ain't got nothing for life, and he says, I want to marry your daughter, I'm going to say, bro, you better come back to me when you have a job, when you have some goals, when you have some stuff. Then we can have a conversation because at this point, you ain't even ready to take care of yourself, much less this amazing, beautiful jewel that God entrusted me with. So back up, brother. So just in case you're sitting in here or you're listening, right, because they could be listening, and you're thinking about that, be sure you got your ducks in a row before you come to me to talk about that beauty because it ain't happening, partner. But listen, the reality is God shows I, I, I am has delivered you from the house of bondage. And therefore, because of my deliverance, because of my loyalty to my promise, I'm commanding you to be loyal to my commands. I'm commanding you to be loyal to my word. And so what do we do? When we look at these 10 words that, again, are not suggestions but are commands and expectations, what do they do? They do three things. You can write this down. Number one is they reveal the nature of the God of the covenant. Remember, marriage is a covenant. This relationship between God and his people is a covenant, something that is unbreakable, something that we are supposed to stand in, right? And number two, it defines the people of the covenant. That's you and I. And number three, it, it outlines how the blessings of the covenant will flow into our lives. So I'll break those down. So the first one is it reveals the nature of the God of the covenant. Remember, I said this last week, God is not setting standards, right? God is the standard. Hello. He is the standard. So when we look at these 10 commandments, these 10 words, he shows that he is God and he is God alone. He shows that he is not an idol, right? He's not, he's not something you can make with your hands. I was, I was watching a documentary by Morgan Freeman, um, and, and it's, it's something about, I think it's called Finding God. And I didn't intentionally do this, but a few nights ago, I was flipping through the, the, the I was scrolling through the, 
the guide or whatever. And I saw this and I was like, ah, let me check it out. So I looked at it and then I, and then I recorded it. I like watched one or two of them. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to record this one because it was the question was, who is God? And I said, okay, so let me, let me check that out. So as I watch this, right, I, I watch this. And, and the first thing that he says, right, he says this. And he says, you know, he says, I'm really glad to see in the beginning of the program, you know, he says, I'm really glad to see that this, this plurality of gods that we see. That, there, that there's a plurality in beliefs, that there's a bunch of different acceptable beliefs in God. And I'm like, hold on a second, bro, you crazy? There's, 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 that's not accurate. There, 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 there may be a bunch of different beliefs that are there. That doesn't make them acceptable. That doesn't mean that they're right. That doesn't mean that just because someone wants to worship how they want to worship, that doesn't mean that that is the one true God. Amen. And so y'all know that this, and you should know this if you don't. All truth is God's truth, right? You know that, right? So all truth is God's truth, no matter who said it, right? Some atheists can say a truth, and it's still truth, right? Because, and it belongs to God if it's true. If it's not true, it's not true. But what I'm saying is all truth is God's truth. Right, so in this in this show, it gets toward the end, and he's he's um, interviewing. He interviewed a few different people, uh, you know, from like Hinduism. You know, he, he interviewed some different people that you know were were part of different worship, you know, uh, uh, activities and stuff like that, and different religions. And he comes to the, I believe it was the last interview, and he's interviewing an uh, uh, um, an iman from um, from Islam. And so they he asked the question. He said, "How is it that you guys worship something?" That you've never seen. Now, this is a good truth, right? This is a good truth. Even though it came from a Muslim um, that made that's deceived, this is a good truth. He says, listen, the reason why we in Islam don't have any type of image of God is because God is beyond our imagination. God is beyond our understanding. And any image that we would try to put into our brain about God, anything we could imagine of God, it would be less than God. Amen to that, right? That's a good truth. Like, that's good preaching. And, and, and here's, the, here's the thing, that when you look at the Ten Commandments and God says you should have no idols, which we'll talk about next week, he's dealing with what? He's saying, look, he says there's nothing that can, you can create all kind of stuff. You can make all kind of statues. You can bow down to, none of that is me. I'm not those idols. I'm greater than any of that. And so reality is, no matter what, God in the Bible, see, and this agrees, God in the Bible, he didn't give us an image to worship. Hello? Listen, I don't care what picture you saw of Jesus. I don't care if he's got blonde hair, blue eyes. I don't care if he's got an afro and dark skin. I don't care if he looks Puerto Rican. It don't matter. That's not Jesus. Hello. It doesn't matter, right? Because he is above all of those images. He is beyond all of those images. Like, we get so caught up on that stupidity, and that's the enemy trying to detract us from what matters. Whatever he looked like, his blood was red, and it was shed for us. That is what matters. He died in our place. And so we honor and we glorify him in that. And so we see the character of our God. As you walk through all of these commandments, and I'm not going to do it right now, but as we walk through them, you see God's character. And the, 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 the second thing that we see is it defines God's people. You see, the same character that God displays, God expects of us. Are you here? We are not supposed to look like the world around us. Our values are not supposed to be like the world around us. The way that we live our lives is not supposed to imitate the world. There should be some contradiction. There should be some contrast that is taking place. Hello. There should be something that is, that, is, that is different within us. And listen, if you're living your life and you look just like the world, there's a problem. If you value the same garbage the world values, there is a problem. If you, listen, if you don't, if there is no opposition in the way that you live, there is an issue. 
If everybody's like, man, you know, they're cool, man. Listen, Christians weren't always cool. Hello. Christians were powerful. Christians were loving. Christians were gracious, but they weren't cool. Hello. Like in our culture, in our days, like we're striving to be cool. You know, we're striving to fit in. We're stri- we strive to do all this kind of stuff. And wait a second, that's never, ever what Jesus ever did. None of the apostles. Listen, I think, you know, if Jesus was in a grave, he'd be turning over in his grave right now. Hello. Right? <laughs> Like the apostles are like turning over in their grave when they look at what the church looks like today. Because we're so busy trying to cater to the world that we're not calling the world to repentance. What are we, call, what, what are we calling people out of? Oh, y'all didn't hear me. What, what, what are we calling you out of? We're calling you out of darkness, really? To be what? To walk in another darkness? To, to, to walk in a, in, 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 a, in a little bit more light. It's still dim, you know. You ain't gotta I mean, come on now. It's like living for the glory and the honor of God. Like there is a different standard, and that is a standard that God sets for us. He sets it for us in his word. And the third thing that I said is it outlines how the blessing of the covenant will flow into our lives. So here's the deal. The reality is if you were here hanging out with us on Tuesdays or Wednesdays in our discipling class, we're walking through the Old Testament. And as we're walking through the Old Testament, we learn something, that God gives us the law for what? So that way we can walk in relationship with him. He doesn't give us the law because we'll ever be saved because every one of us falls short of the glory of God. Every one of us disobeys God. And you know what Paul said? Paul made it clear. If you break one of these laws, you've broken all of them. That's what Paul said. And so it's impossible for us to keep the law because of our imperfections. But here's the thing. When we walk in obedience, we will see the blessing of God flow in our lives. Are you here? Listen, you want a good marriage? You know what you need to do? Obey the principles of Scripture. Are you hearing me? You want, to, you, you want to see your kids flourish and become who God wants them to be? Obey the principles of Scripture. Amen. Don't go buy the next, you know, pop culture book on parenting and think that that's going to be the way. Listen, they thought Dr. Spock was the man, and obviously there's issues. Hello, somebody. Some of y'all, who's Dr. Spock? Don't worry about it. It's not talking about Star Trek. But anyway, all right. <laughs> but listen, there's principles that we know they don't work, Right? So what we have to do is we have to look at the scriptures. Listen, you want your finances to be blessed? How many of y'all want, want your finances to be blessed? Come on, raise your hand. You can say amen to that. I don't know anybody who don't want that. The rest of y'all don't want your finances blessed. Whatever. Uh, I wish I could speak. But, but here's the thing. Listen, if you want your finances to be blessed, you need to apply the principles of scripture. I talked for two weeks on giving. But listen, that's only a portion of how you walk in blessing. You better learn how to budget. Hello, somebody. You better learn how to say no to some stuff. It's not just about, because some people think this. They think, oh, well, I give my 10%, 20%, 15%, 5%, whatever percent you do. I'm going to give that, and everything else is going to be blessed. That's not true. That's not truth. We have to learn to be balanced in all of our stewardship of what God has entrusted us with. And so you want to be blessed. You walk in the principles of the covenant. You walk in obedience. You do what God says. Listen, you want to be blessed financially? Don't covet. Oh, glory to God. We just ended. We just ended the Ten Commandments, right? Like, that's it. Like, you want to be blessed financially? Don't covet. Don't look at your neighbor's left. Don't look, don't look at what they have. Look at what God has given you. You live within your means. Hello, somebody. I know I'm like nine weeks ahead, but here's the deal. We have to look at the principles of Scripture. If we walk in the principles of Scripture, we will be able to do what? We see where God's blessing flows. Huh. Second thing, repeat this after me. Say, our understanding, our understanding of, who God is, of who God is 
will be demonstrated in our devotion to him. Our understanding of who God is will be demonstrated in our devotion to him. Look at verse 3. This is the main verse that we're dealing with, the first command. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the principle. You shall have no other gods before me. And so what was he doing? He was doing for Egypt what he had already done for Abraham. Abraham was in a pluralistic culture where there are many idols, many worship, many different deities that they were worshiping. And God calls him out to the worship of one God. And then he does the same thing. He goes, and we went through this in our class as well. He obliterated the gods of Egypt. He destroyed the gods of Egypt and did what? Made it understandable to everyone, I am the one true God. And then when he brings them into the wilderness, when he brings them there, he calls them to singular worship. He's not calling them to a hierarchical worship. In other words, he wasn't saying, make me the highest God of all your gods. That wasn't what he was saying. He wasn't saying, he was saying, do not have any other gods besides me. I am the one true God. And so here you can write these scriptures down for time's sake. We won't go through them. But Israel was commanded, how is it that you worship in a practical way? How is it that you have no other gods before him? Well, the first one, Deuteronomy 6.5, what does he tell us there? He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul. That's the, that's the quote from Jesus, right? So the first thing God said is to love the Lord. That's how you have no other gods before him. In Deuteronomy 6, 13, and, and 10, 12, and 10, 20, so all that, Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy um, 10, Deuteronomy 10, 20, all of that right there tells us what? To fear him and serve him. To fear him and serve him. So foundationally, we love him, but we fear him. We serve him with all of our heart, with all of our soul. We diligently, Deuteronomy 6, 17, we diligently keep the commandments of God. Not sometime, not once in a while. We diligently pursue the, the will of God and obey his commandments. And then the last one, I want you to turn there with me. Turn to Ex I mean, De Deuteronomy chapter 8 because I want you to read this with me. I want you to see how important this one is because... Because this one isn't a warning or, or telling them what they should do. This is something of a warning of what they should not do. And Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us that we should not forget the Lord. And so look at it with me. Deuteronomy 8 beginning in verse 11. When you got it, say so. And it says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping. So how do we forget him? It's when we stop obeying him, when we stop doing what he says. So that's one part of it. Verse 12, he says less. Check this out. When you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty lamb where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you for what to do you good in the end hello somebody 
All of these things that they would forget, they, they would forget. He, he's, he's warning them of what happens to Israel. And because we know the rest of the story, what did they do? They forgot about him over and over and over again. They forgot about his holy day. They forgot that he was the one who supplied. And look at verse 18. He says, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And then look at this. It says, then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. It reminds me of a conversation that he had way back in the day with a guy by the name of Adam. He gave Adam all this good stuff. He said, man, you can be here, be fruitful, multiply. He gave him one command. Don't eat from this tree because the day that you do, you shall perish. You shall perish. It's the same idea, the same thought process that we have here. And what we realize is that this is how we practically, this is how we practically have no other gods before him. It's when we acknowledge him that he's the one who's provided all things, that he is the only source of everything that we had. See, they were bound in this polytheistic mindset, right? This worship of multiple gods, this worship of multiple deities. They were stuck in that kind of worship, in that kind of mindset. And God was trying to bring them into a monotheistic, singular worship of one true God. Third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the New Testament affirms the call to devotion to the one true God. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 14. And this is important because what we have to realize about all of the commandments, right, as we're going through this series, and as you're turning to Acts, Acts 14, as we go through this series, every commandment that we look at in the Old Testament, we have to see it in the New Testament. Why is this important? Because if the command is not in the New Testament, it doesn't apply to us. Are you here? If it is not in the New Testament, it does not apply to us. And so Exodus chapter 14, verse 8 through 18, and look at what it says here. Acts, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, verse 8 through 18. It says this, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw that Paul had, what, what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. And so look at this amazing miracle that occurs. Paul is preaching, and as he's preaching, he sees someone sitting in the back that's crippled. He sees it by the Spirit that this person has faith to be healed. And he calls him up, and he tells him, he doesn't call him up. He calls him to stand up straight. The man stands up straight. The people go wild because of this amazing miracle. But then something happens. They decide, well, we need to work because the gods have come down among us. Where would they get this crazy idea? Well, it was in, it was in their folklore. And what happened was in those days, they believed that, or they, they were taught that the gods had come down 
And when the gods had come down, they walked around that city and they asked the people for food. And the gods denied them food except for two people. And these two people decided that they were going to give them food. And what the gods did in response was they flooded and they destroyed the entire city except for the house of those two people. And that became the temple of worship. And so what happened was in this moment, they were like, man, we don't want to miss the gods. Hello. We don't, want to be, we don't want to be judged because of this. And so on one side, there's a positive, right? They're trying to respond to the gods. But it was foolishness because it was false. It was fairy tale. It wasn't true. There was no substantiation of what they were believing. And I want you to look at what Paul does. Paul doesn't go and say, yo, we're going to start a church right here because these people love us. Hello. We're going to make sure these people know we got the power of God. It wasn't anything like that. That isn't what the apostle Paul said. It says this in verse 14. It says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran among, in among the multitude, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? Why, we also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you. Listen to what they were preaching, that you should turn from these useless things to the living God. There it is. You should turn from these useless practices. You should turn from these useless beliefs and turn to the living God. Who is the living God? He is the one who made the heavens. In other words, don't worship the stars. Don't worship the moon. Don't worship the sun who made the earth. Don't worship the things of this earth. He made the sea. Don't worship the things in the sea and all things that are in them. And look at this, who in bygone generations and years past, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. In bygone years, in years in the past, God was like, you know what, y'all don't, you, you know what, you guys don't understand what you're doing. And so he would bring messengers, but he's saying now, today, he's communicating through Paul and Barnabas, do not think this way anymore. God is calling you to repentance from that way of living. He's calling you out. Why does that matter to us? Because you and I are living in a culture that loves to worship the God they create. They want to worship the God that makes them comfortable, the God that makes them feel good about themselves, the God that never requires anything of them, the God that just wants to bless them but doesn't require sacrifice, the God that wants to give them all of their heart's desire but doesn't require them to live holy. That is the generation we are living among right now. And what we need to realize is that God has placed us amidst this culture that is sacrificing to false gods all all of the time, their body, their money, their time, they're sacrificing over and over and over, and they're seeking what? They're seeking some kind of blessing. They're seeking some kind of something from a divine being if they're even thinking about him, and God says, call them to repentance. Call them to repentance. Be a voice. Be a light. Be a, a source of hope in this world, but not a false hope. Hello. Be a source of truth that communicates the gospel. Be a source of truth that brings the truth of God to bear in every area of the culture. Not just some, not just where you're comfortable, even where you're uncomfortable. That we communicate the truth of God no matter what it costs us. See, because Paul and them, listen, listen if you think about it, they could have made some serious money there. Hello. They could have been well-to-do. They could have been good. They, look, they would have never had to do anything for themselves ever again because they could just proclaim that they were the gods, but the reality was they weren't. And God's standard is what? That we worship one true God. One true God. 
that we honor him with all of our life, that we seek his will and his purpose. And here's the thing that I want you to realize. It's the same way that these people had created this, this idea of their own gods is the same thing that's happening in our days. And so we, we, listen, church, we cannot sit back and act like it's okay. We can't laugh at their sin. We can't laugh at their foolishness. Jesus came to bring deliverance to their lives. But here's the deal. The most important question in this place right now is not about the person out there. It's about the people sitting in here. It's about where are you in your worship of the one true God? And so my closing question is this. Where in your life do you see a lack of devotion to the one true and living God? Where in your life do you see a lack of devotion to that God? Where in your life do you find yourself compromising? You see, the one, the, the one idea, and I hate using this idea in, 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 a lot, in, in comparison to God, but listen, if you ever watch one of those shows, you know, like Law and Order or something like that, you know, one of those type of shows, and you have somebody that, you know, got caught in a murder, and there's somebody bigger behind them, like a mafia boss or something like that, typically what happens is in this show, this guy wants to do what? He wants to, the, the prosecutor, he doesn't really want this small fish, he wants the big fish. And then what does the small fish typically say? He's like, man, if I tell on him, right, y'all New Yorkers, snitches get stitches, hello, right, right, right? <laughs> But here's the thing, if I tell on him, I'm going to have to deal with the consequences. You can't protect me from him, right? You can't protect me from them. That's the thought. And so here's the deal. God, God is not up there like some, you know, mafia boss. Hello, somebody, right? That's why I hate using the idea. But the truth is, he is holy. People are going to stand before his holiness. People are going to stand before his throne. And it's going to be worse than facing a mafia boss. Because it's eternal damnation. It's not getting thrown into a river. Hello. The reality is that we have to think about, man, how do I, what do I believe about God? Am I struggling with the worship of one true God or do I have a bunch of other gods in my life? Do I have a bunch of other things that take precedence over God? Is God like number one, but I still have two, three, four, and five? Listen, if you have two, three, four, and five, and we'll address those more specifically next week on idolatry. But here's the thing. If you have other things... That hold that almost equal weight. Listen, you have a problem. And you need to come to repentance and say, God, I don't want to struggle with worshiping you. Because here's the deal. You and I will never be a witness before a world if God is not the one true God of our heart first. Amen? So I stand to our feet and let's pray together. Father, we come to you today. And we do humble our hearts in your presence. And God, I pray in this place for anyone in here who realizes, God, they're not serving you. They've created a God in their own image rather than bowing before the God who created them in his image. They realize they've brought you down to their level. They realize that they, that they are not following you. God, today, may you give them a repentant heart. Today, may you turn them to you. Today, may they call upon you. Today, may they cry out to you, God. And Father, I pray for us in this place that have made a commitment to you, that have, that have walked with you and are serving you, Lord. Let us acknowledge where we struggle with you being the one true God. Help us to live for your glory and your glory alone. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. He is worthy.